When I first thought of doing this series, and I was thinking of possible guests I'd like to talk to, Emily Breeze's name was one of the first that came to mind. And I was so happy when she said yes, and I've been really looking forward to this episode. Emily puts all kinds of emotional flavours into her music, and those mixtures create quite a show. There's fantasy, grim reality, love and romance, and razor-sharp humour. And she has the very arresting voice of someone who's peered into all the dark corners, and been in a few of them, and knows what she's talking about. My party-party days are behind me now, but they did, very briefly, overlap with Emily's, and she's one of those people who have an exciting energy coming off them that strikes you right away. She's great fun. She tears up the book of niceties, while at the same time being a perfectly nice person. Her songs paint pictures and stories of that oft-thwarted determination to live a glorious life, sometimes using soft sounds of ironic gloom and sometimes roaring across electric guitars. Every day Every day I wake up praying That my place of work will have been burnt down Intricate revenge fantasies on the number two bars I drink a joyless cup of Greg's coffee For me anyway, Emily embodies a very intelligent kind of spirit of rebellion. I would have used the term rock and roll here, but you'll hear me getting into trouble with that cliché right off the bat. Oh, and I must also insert a sweeping generalisations alert when I say later on that men don't do feelings. And of course that's ridiculous and patently untrue. But I'm trying to make a point in a certain context, so I hope you'll take it in the spirit it was meant and accept my apology in advance. And I'd better also include a profanities alert for this episode as well. Oh, and by the way, I'm Francis Butt, and this is Emotipod, a series about how all kinds of arts can channel all kinds of emotions in all kinds of ways. You know your sadness Emily, thank you very much for talking to me about this subject. (laughs) Pleasure. So let's get to it. I 
really wanted to talk to you because I know you and I knew you'd be really interesting to talk to, but I consider you pretty rock and roll and sarcasm is kind of your stock in trade, really, in a, you know. <laughs> so it felt like I'd be risking a bit of derision or, you know, to, to ask you to talk about feelings, even though, of course, rock and roll has feelings in it. Everything has feelings in it. It's just the talking about it that some people seem to run a mile on, run a mile from. So um, do you think of yourself as a rock and roll for starters or um, is that how you see what you do? I think that rock and roll is completely juvenile <laughs> and um, incredibly one-dimensional to have a persona described as rock and roll. Yeah, that's my, that was my worry, so I apologise for that. <laughs> and I'm, uh, <laughs> so I get it all the time. Great start. Okay. And, um, you know, I do a lot of things like watching reality television. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just turned 40 as well, so I've started to really get interested in eye-watering the expensive tomatoes and... Uh, <laughs> I actually went on a National Trust walk the other day. I hate to crush <laughs> the myth. Fantastic. But um, no, I am, I am still um, a fairly hedonistic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's also a spirit, isn't it? And I'm talking kind of about an attitude here, really, rather than the actual, musically speaking, Chuck Berry or what is and what isn't musically. It's an attitude yeah. or a something, you know. Um, yeah, sort of sense of rebelliousness, which has all been bought up and sold back to generations of people since the 1950s when we invented the concepts of the teenager. Yeah. But if I stop being difficult, <laughs> I do think that Chuck Berry and Little Richard are holy and eternal. Even the, the Ramones, whose music I don't particularly... I like their music, but it's what they represent. They're these, yes. like, goofy-looking, yes. bony, rough-hewn guys who can't sing and they mm. can't play and they made something that touched moved and inspired an entire generation yeah and i recently saw a buddhist monk it's a mm. clip on youtube yeah. doing a meditation with a gong and a stick his timing is absolutely impeccable to rock and roll high school oh. by the remote and it's like the universe in a grain of sand and it just <laughs> it just struck me as something very beautiful that's beautiful emily <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you've said that songwriting is an addiction. I've read some interviews before I did this. So what's the fix that you get there? Is it the process or the outcome or fiddling about with words or getting something out of yourself? What is that? What's the fix? There's a few ways of answering that. I think the most honest one is that I don't have a strong enough sense of identity Mm. without creating music. Oh, Um, as in, if I stop doing it, I don't really know who I am or how to relate to the world around me. I think mm-hmm. if we were to be honest, it's a lot about status and self-esteem, even to the lower lower echelons, which I've clawed my way to. And um, you've got to do something. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's you've got to fill up, fill up the time before you die. <laughs> <laughs> you see, there you are again. and you're and you're good at it you know you are good at it you come from a literary family so did you do did you read you've always read a lot or you know has that been in your bones or do you think it is or I well I'm a bit of a charlatan I'm nowhere near as literary as I probably seem and (laughs) I can I can um really I can fake it I can fake it um but when I was younger I did love reading when I was a kid there was only four channels of tv in the 80s and and I was very fired up by by the written word 
And when I went to school, I was a truant, so I used to skive school. I'd spend my bus fare on 10 pence and hedges. Mm. And I didn't have anyone to skive school with, so I'd go to, I'd either sit by the canal and read Enemy and Melody Maker, mm. or go to the library and read, mm. which was mm. a sort of mm. irony there that I was learning, but not at school. Yeah. And then I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about not being educated. So I choked down things like Dostoevsky and Kafka. Mm. So it was a bit of an endurance test. But yeah, I'm choke's really a bit of a it. word for it, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, okay. I think that's something to prove, really. Mm. I read a lot of poetry because it informs lyric writing. It's yeah. incredibly useful. Yeah, yeah. But since the advent of the internet, I've just completely atomized my attention span and I haven't read a lot since That's then. a thing, isn't it? That is a thing in the tiktok age we live in. But you're, you know, but you studied art as well. So, you know, there's polymathery going on there. I scraped my way. I got three GCSEs and scraped my way onto an art A-level yeah. um, and only lasted for about three months, I think. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But all these things, you're creative and you have... You have an eye, you have an ear, you have a, a wordy mouth. <laughs> Got me right there. <laughs> oh, that was great, Francis. Oh, no, <laughs> Who are the visual artists you like? Do you have a favourite type of graphics or painting or whatever? Um, I was thinking about this because I saw it in your email. Mm. I like a lot of... I think I like the visual world as much as I like music. Mm. I like a lot of really trashy stuff like um, 80s VHS horror film video covers and Barbara Cartland novels and 80s advertising of silk cut adverts. And wow. That all sort of, sort of very, very kitsch. I love John Waters' films and yeah. Divine. Helmut Newton, Guy Bourdain, yeah. just sort of weaponized female sexuality. Right. Uh, they're really angular painters like Egon Schiller and um, Francis Bacon. Mm-hmm. It's just never-ending, mm. the amount of stuff that I can get excited about. Mm. There's so much gorgeous stuff to, to go, go look at. Um, I was thinking, did you read your, your grandfather and your great-uncles? And did you, did you know them, actually, at all? I met... So Brenton died before I was born. Mm. My granddad, Brian... The last time I saw him, I was, oh, I was 18. I'd moved into a flat with my boyfriend at the time. Mm. He was pretty old then. What I remember about Brian is that he was, when he came to visit sometimes when we were kids, we'd always end up at a lake and he'd take all of his fucking clothes off and go into the lake naked with his wife. And um, he was quite charming. They were, I didn't know them very well, but my mum obviously did. Mm. I like Brendan's iconoclastic, rebellious nature. Mm. It's a little bit whimsical for me, some of the writing. Right. It was it was just always there when I was a kid, just on the on the bookshelves. And um, he's one of those people that was very famous in Ireland and to mm. a couple of generations. But I don't think it'll the legacy won't go a lot further than that. I don't think. You don't think? I think it was of its time. What do you reckon? I know he's known for his you know sort of a naughtiness uh, character, and obviously Brendan Byrne was as well. Um, oh, I went on YouTube and was listening or looking at some Brendan Byrne interviews and speaking and singing and it's just mesmerizing mesmerizing plaster drunk charm it is yeah. it is extraordinary and i think that naughtiness is that's a legend of there is this legend to that and i wondered whether you had taken that in and, and used a bit of that with what you do i suppose it's an archetype isn't it the yeah, yeah. the mischief maker mm-hmm. have i taken that in 
I, not consciously. My dad's mm. very naughty. He's a really yeah. big character. So he's on the other side. He's right, an yeah. extremely big character. Again, very iconoclastic, mischievous, sort of cut the crap kind of a person. Yeah. I haven't really thought about it, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, well, there you are. That's what we're here for. Okay, so we did a bit of a pre-to-and-fro before this chat. And you were very kind to talk about being struck about how funny it is that men being strong and silent has been glamorised. And that women being, you know, actually talking about their feelings is seen as weak and silly. And the tide is turning now, which is why why this series of uh, podcasts, really. There's so much sadness in what you do, as well as, you know, your videos are also very funny, and but very dark and very mournful and with the sarcasm and also defiance. And that's, uh, well, there's your hedonism cocktail right there, really, isn't it? <laughs> Sounds delicious. Is, is that your, your live performances? I haven't seen you playing live often enough, I don't think. Yeah, what are you putting across when you're seeing your songs live? And are you, are you thinking about that? We've got quite a lot in there. So I want to mm. go back to the, the gender. I'm not, I'm, like I said in, in our email, I'm not particularly interested in gender wars. And I think there's a lot of misinformation going on. Yeah. But it just sort of struck me in a flash. It was probably an argument with my boyfriend. Um, <laughs> how women are seen as being overly emotional hysterical mm. uh which means of the womb as you probably know mm, mm, mm. and actually we're very very good at processing emotions and dealing with our emotions mm. and all this strong silent stuff it's not strong at all it's just not dealing with anything and then flying into an actually explosive rage like that's mm. the most hysterical thing you can do to the point mm. where you lose control Absolutely, and yeah. you're being physically some you know where people some people are physically violent yeah, whereas yeah. We, we just cry I mean that's a much yeah. better way of dealing with stuff not that I don't want to have blind to an explosive physical rage sometimes but I managed to hold it down they were all sent off to die in their troves in mm. wars for True. generations and yeah. completely brutalized so it does make sense to me that there's some work to be done there they need a nice cuddle I think <laughs> We all need yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, we do. Oh, so you are quite cuddly. Yeah, I know you are. I know you I are. Am, I, yeah, I am if I like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I am. I'm, no, I'm actually, I'm very, very friendly and you affectionate. Are. Um, you absolutely are, yeah. Not a, not a total super bitch. <laughs> but on stage, so emotions on stage, yes. what am I channeling? Well, it's sort of, you probably have this, it's um. It's at best, it's it's sort of transcendent. Uh, that's why performing is addictive because you stop being conscious of yourself and you're just making sounds, mm -hmm. um, which I suppose sounds which express a, a narrative. Mm. Yeah, um, so you've got you've got stuff to engage yourself with, that not you? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know what the emo. I don't. I'm just completely in it, to be honest. And just mm. It feels great mm. on a good day. It feels so great to hear everything amplified and yeah. deliver. I just think of them like little films, really, all of the songs mm. and um, different roles to play and performances. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're such good. They're stories and, yeah, they're stories or scenarios or vignettes or something. Your songs are all... What about you? For channeling emotion on stage, what's that like for you? Oh, well, I haven't done it for a long time now and... Um... I don't think I ever lost the self-consciousness quite enough. That was my torture thing, getting rid of, getting out my yeah. own way. Is that There's a knacker to that as well. I love that you can get out of your own, you can get into what you're doing and lose your whatever it is. 
it, well, well, I wouldn't say it's easy. No, it's not, is it? I'm, st- I'm still get incredibly nervous. Um, you know, I'll have a few pints before I get on stage. Okay. I get I get extremely um, nervous to the point where I really don't want anyone to speak to me at all for most okay, of the yeah. day, yeah. which is all being very significant about it. It's making it so much more biblical than it needs to be, but that's how I feel. I'd like to be, should probably do, get into something like meditation where you can become more, more present and not let your feelings completely ride you as opposed to you riding your feelings. There's a balance there to be had as well, isn't there? Because you want the energy that you're going to need because you are making energy. So you do need to have that energy. And then, yeah, to just pretend it's like I'm going to be all Zen about it and everything. You're not in the right mode, really. And um, and also it means that it matters to you. I'm glad you said that. If you got the nerves, you know, then because if you didn't, if you didn't care and you were just like not bothered about it, you'd go into the performance not bothered about it. So I, yeah, I'm sure there's value in that. It's definitely a sort of heightened state, and it's a lot of adrenaline. Yeah, it's fear, really, which yeah, we is. could yeah, call yeah. excitement. And, yeah. and you know, we like watching horror films. We like being in a state. Yeah, of yeah, fear. we do, we do. It's like again, it's like not too much, but just enough. Just Goldilocks fear, where yeah. you've just got the right amount that you need to do the job. Or yeah. I mean, people t- talk about saying, turn your fear into excitement. I mean, they're so close to each other. Yeah, I suppose you could just flip that. Yeah, it's human. Exactly. Anyway, well done. Enjoy your pints. <laughs> do what you've got to do, innit? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to talk to be about romance in your songs, and that's, they're, yeah, they're mel- melancholy romances as well as dark, and so you are romantic. Oh, gotcha. What <laughs> else is there? There's nothing <laughs> no. as exciting as... um this romance because it's well again it's transcendent isn't it when you're in that really psychedelic phase you forget yourself and everything else and that's kind of why, why I think that's the, almost the same feeling as being on stage where you lose it takes you out of the mundane day-to-day boring fucking shit <laughs> and everything feels again very cinematic and mm. I think Nick Cave said the love song is just a universal medium for reaching out to God and although I am a confirmed atheist, reaching out to something bigger and more meaningful mm. is um, beautiful. Mm. And desire is a constant and eternal state that we can all relate to. Mm. And it just so happens, I, I teach kids and uh, or teach teenagers and they all go, oh, I'm not writing a love song. Love songs are really naff. Oh, it's not about love it's just about the constant state of desire want, want, and needing yeah, and wanting yeah, yeah. focused yeah. in on one narrative that makes sense you use the word beauty and what, what what your meaning of the word beauty is is so interesting because you you're you know you're in, engaged in dark beauty or the beauty and darkness i think i sent you that alexander mcqueen quote saying i find beauty in the grotesque and you also talk about truth and the beauty in truth however painful and difficult it is there is beauty in truth do you want to talk about that for you beauty in the grotesque yeah um I've always found ugly things thrillingly exciting Mm. I think in many ways the really short answer is that it's cool it's Mm. as in cool as in it's about the world of the outsider and it's almost like you're saying I can see something that others can't. Yes. So there's almost yeah. a little bit of superiority in there as well. Um, but definitely more than that. So the bland perfection, 
perfect things. You can't apply much creativity or you don't need to use your imagination to mm. connect with something that just is perfection of form. Well, it's you use the word beautiful. bland. I mean, it's, it's not interesting, is it? You sort of slide off of it, whereas you can yeah. really, something with a lot of angles can really get its hooks into you. And you yeah. can, you have to use your imagination to apply an idea to it, mm. to transform it into something holy. And mm-hmm. also I've got a, I've got an angular face. Mm-hmm. I've connected with those. I like to see characters, you know, like Brit- British faces in carry on films. Yeah. Um, we used to have these incredible, they had, yeah, yeah. Great yeah. big faces, awful teeth. <laughs> huge bone structure and that's what people actually look like yeah yeah and they're gorgeous yeah yeah yes what about you what does that mean to you great beauty and the grotesque beauty and the grotesque I think it's like you said about the outsiderness of it the the rejected the excluded yeah. yeah my heart is drawn to that for sure I feel more comfortable not being in anything I think me um, too your available bandwidth is greater for seeing more things when you're not in a one thing. That's well put. There's more scope to, to experience more, more different things. That's that um, quote that Leonard Cohen stole from Cahill Gibran, which is, you know, it's a bit of a cliche. It's used a lot, but there's a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in. Yeah. There's a little yeah, bit yeah. of illumination and enlightenment through mm. um, everything you fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Everything having value, not just the pretty and not just the happy and not good. And which is, again, one of the uh, motivations behind this series is this having learned more about the, the balance of all emotions, that there, there are no good and bad ones, that they're all, they all have purpose and value. And so life and death is all has purpose and value. It's all necessary. All of it's necessary. And so and I love that. I'm drawn to that, the breadth of that. Um, yeah. Instead of trying to reform people into the cult of toxic positivity. Or cryogenics or, you know, the desperate need to, to stay young or all these things that are just denying the reality and, and, yep. and also making reality unacceptable, which is, seems just so perverse to me. There's a, that's like a thrillingly, a sort of wicked glee mm. from writers who tell the truth like that. I, it yeah, sort yeah. Of, Lots of people say, oh, that's, you know, God, that's depressing. Or that's, that's a Martin Amos line. And meanwhile, time goes about its immemorial work of making us look and feel like shit. And I yeah. just think that is the fucking funniest, <laughs> most brilliant line. And it's, it's thrilling because you feel a bit less, um, makes me feel relaxed. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So hooray for that. Hooray for him. Hooray for you. You can't do it without humour, is it? That's the... You've got to have some humour in there or it is just like bludgeoningly depressing. Well, yes, but then humour is, I mean, there are times when things are not funny and it depends and context really matters, of course. But most things can be funny in the right context. Of course they can, yeah. So if you set up that context, then you can have a whale of a time with darkness and death and oh, somebody described your music as noir pop, which I quite like, actually. Um, do you like that? Yeah, I wish yeah, it was I'm... more pop. I'm not very good at writing hooks or big anthemic choruses. It's just not the thing. Oh, well, I think you do, comes... think you do great choruses. Wow, I mean, very, yeah, yeah, very grand. I some appreciate of them. that. I'm having a go. I'm really it doesn't. It's not. Well, I like a great big dirge. I only really like the verses to most songs and all the <laughs> detail and the environment. And I'm really trying to learn and get better at that because 
it's an interesting challenge to constantly try and expand into areas that you didn't write in before. Uh, I'd like to do it more. So actually, I would take pop as a huge compliment. Noir, yeah, it's just a posh way of saying dark, isn't it? Yeah, it's but, a nice way. Yeah, I was going to ask you what you, what you, what do you mean by the word noir? But it makes yeah, me think of fil- film noir and all those yeah, yeah. incredible female yeah. characters in those film noirs. It's got chic in it, and it? it's like chic, dark, dark chic. Yeah, definitely. For sure, for sure. But the pop, I do love when you use, I mean, it sounds to me anyway a bit like a bit of Leonard Cohen influence there with drum machine stuff, which is very, it's very sweet. And there's a sweetness to that. Yep. It takes it down to, it's an unthreatening thing to put in there, isn't it? Kind of really makes, softens things in a way, in a fun way. It's got to be done because otherwise, so it takes out all of that muscular mm. cucumber down your trousers, rock music. These are my feelings, guys. Everybody, my feelings are important. And then, mm. yeah, so absolutely on the money. Those sort of little Casio drum machines, yeah. they make it like kind of pathetic in a way that I think is charming. And it's that kind of end of the pier. It's candy floss. Exactly. Yeah. A little bit of synth drum, sleazy, cheapo disco. Lovely. Love it. Very nice. What was the first music you remember buying? Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's really, it's really cool. Okay. You might not remember this band. It was a, it's a band called The Spin Doctors, who had a hit called Two Princes in about 1994. Oh. And I thought it was, it, it's basically, it's like the worst okay. music in the world. <laughs> I loved it. I also loved, I really loved the levelers do you remember them oh yeah um yeah. which now i would honestly i would just throw the cassette off off the balcony that was irish it, in the room ish, ish. Irish it was from ish. brighton but they were kind of pretending ish. to be irish yeah, and it was really it. like political and about like stick it to the man and mm. uh, I, got, I really got caught up in that i was about 14 then what else did i buy <laughs> i bought because i just used to get given a record token by my auntie every year oh the ones that stayed with me is I bought Dummy by Portishead. Oh, right. There you go. And that was life-changing. Absolutely. And I bought OK Computer. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, the Benz, actually. It was the, the first one was the Benz. Okay. That was with the, and it was on cassette. Mm. And um, that's one I sort of really, I suppose that says it all, doesn't it? Because they're just very sad. <laughs> and, off <laughs> you go, and off you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Can you tell me about Confessions of an Aging Party Girl? I love it bit of atomic by blondie in there I mean, it's great but um is that you or is it a character are you doing you or are you doing characters or are you a bit of both or it's actually we were working on this disco synth tune mm. and i tried singing a few things over it and i it wasn't working the verses are a poem that i wrote when i was about 25 mm. And I guess so that's a character, presumably. Yeah. And it was when we were all sort of we were either on the dole or doing, you know, working in pubs or cafes, restaurants and being in bands. And some people started to straighten out and get proper jobs and leave very Mm. cleverly, Mm. I might say. Mm. But at the time, it felt like they were all peeling away. Selling out. Yes. And. (laughs) And we were some of us that just still stayed around this kitchen table in this great big crumbling house that we all used to live in. Mm. And I really did throw my alarm clock out of the window, which I say, I say, I was showing off, and I was showing off. Mm. I was like being like, "Fuck tomorrow, <laughs> time's just a concept, man." <laughs> <laughs> and 
boss dancing around my bedroom with this guy. And, um... We danced and drank and talked and danced and drank. And I threw my alarm clock out of the window just to prove I truly was the last of the great bohemians. I was showing off. Nothing glitters when you're gone. It's, that's more just a sort of romantic. It was the idea of somebody who would never leave, never leave the party or never yeah. leave the disco. Yeah. Um, that bit's a bit more fictitious, but... Because <laughs> you know, well, have you? Actually, no, you've got a, you've got a day job now. Yes, You've got a day job. I, I don't know how it happened, but it grown happened. Up, grown yeah. up, steady. Uh, do you like it? Is it is it is it nice teaching the kids? It's genuinely a privilege to mm. be around that many young people and know what the world is like for them. I think it really informs my politics and my understanding of people. Yeah, and teenagers are very funny as mm. well mm. and interesting. It's also it's quite stressful. Mm. Because it's all you have to prepare lessons, and it's always like a performance, and you can right. kind of read everybody's face as you're doing it. You've got to get them engaged, haven't you? That's your just, that's, them engaged. that's that's demanding of you, yeah. A lot of imposter syndrome, yeah. So I know I have to do a lot of tap dancing and distraction mm-hmm. technique to make them look at the fact that I know a lot about lyrics and artist identity, right? Songwriting, so they don't notice that I don't know any music theory at all and can barely plug in a PA. So I have to that's, be particularly sparkly and exciting over in one, one area. They can shop elsewhere for that. You can learn theory, but, you know, what you do, that's, there's gold in there. Do you see that generation now as, as being a really different from, from yours or from mine or whatever? Amazingly not. They're not that different. Oh, right, good. At least, good. I suppose this is one demographic, so they're, they're all, they've all gone to music, either I teach university and degree. Mm. So they've all elected to be in this place. So that does, that's a fairly narrow demographic. Yes. But they are from different, quite different backgrounds. But the thing that's just crazy is they, they dress exactly, I was their age in the 90s. They mm. dress exactly like we did, downtime in the same band t-shirts. Wow. They like a lot of the same music because we're in that 20-year Mm-hmm. Year cycle. cycle, yeah, and they really they have the same kind of desires and worries. The only thing, the difference is, is the exponential rise of digital headfuck. I mean, it's I think that's oh, yeah. terrifying, really. Right. Um, yes, how that affects them constantly taking photographs. Okay, yeah, they've grown, they've been born into that. Yeah, oh, the whole thing about uh, I mean, there was a record industry when I was doing music and when bill was doing promos yeah bands got signed and got paid and yeah what a world to come into you're, you're not in it for the money that's for damn sure some I of mean, them get loads of tiktok followers and they get paid through things like that some of them do okay oh well but no it's really different well, that part yeah. is different yeah. yeah and speaking of playing and being paid and everything you're back rehearsing have you gigged again now or you're planning to or we've done three rehearsals we've got a new keyboard player who's Ooh. brilliant. Ooh. It's been good, actually. It's been good to get back in the room and make a lot of noise. We've got a couple. I haven't booked up a lot of gigs because I just don't know what's going to happen. I, yeah. I'd rather wait a little bit. But we're, we're doing one at the Fleece on the 5th of September, and we're playing in a beautiful church. Oh, St. John's Crypt or something like that. I think they've just made it into a venue. Oh, I'm glad you're getting back into that. Getting back in there. Thank you. And I will definitely come and see you when... Uh... 
when it's safe enough and you're actually playing it'd be great it'd be good to see you in real person it was a pleasure thanks for having me As totally expected, so much to enjoy from Emily. To me, even if she has moved into the heritage, tomato and national trust phase, she still embodies a spirit of rebellion. I love the point about feeling like you've seen something others don't see and even getting a sense of superiority or pride out of that, though at the same time it can't cancel out the loneliness of being an outsider. Emotions rarely arise one at a time, and sometimes come in peculiar combinations. And while truth has a stark beauty to it, however painful, we do need humour, otherwise it all gets a bit relentless and intolerably bleak. And finally, I really loved her use of the word psychedelic in relation to romance. What a brilliant way to describe that big, intoxicating roller coaster of infatuation. And there's an implied come down there as well. Fantastic. You heard short clips of Ego Death, Limousines and Confessions of an Ageing Party Girl. There are links for you to explore more of Emily Breeze's music in the text for this podcast. On the advice of my daughter, thanks Jazz, I recommend Bandcamp if you'd like to buy Emily's tracks because artists get a bigger proportion of the purchase price there. If you liked this chat, there are other chats, other guests, other topics other art forms under discussion, in other episodes. And if you liked it, please feel free to subscribe, tell your friends, spread the word, and all that stuff. And until next time, enjoy keeping all your senses open and alive to whatever art makes your life better. <laughs>